Hi everyone, welcome to China and the Caribbean, a podcast about the economic, social, and political relations of China in the Caribbean. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. Antonio Alin from the University of the West Indies. Previously, he was an economist in the Ministry of Finance in Barbados, and he is one of the very few Caribbean persons to have received a PhD from a Chinese university. We had a lively discussion about increasing Caribbean trade in China, the persistent public policy problems in the region, and why still Caribbean firms are so reluctant to operate in China. I had a great time chatting with Antonio, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Antonio. Uh, thank you very much for agreeing to have this conversation today. Hi, Rashid. It's nice to be asked, and it's a pleasure to be here. If we could just start, could you give like, a brief introduction to yourself and how you actually got involved in the entire idea of economic relations with China and the Caribbean? After I obtained my master's, I was employed as an actual economist for the Ministry of Finance and Economic Affairs here in Barbados. And I, I held that post for five, just over five years, almost six years. And from there on, while I was there, I was actually contemplating whether I should do my PhD and so on, continue my doctorate. And I, so I made that choice. And from there on, then I left Barbados and proceeded to the Asian continent where I proceeded to seek higher education. And while I was there, I saw some unusual things in the sense of not negative, but not what I expected, you know, all the stories I heard. I previously visited China in 2009 for a short period, and I wasn't exposed to these things. So when I got used to the culture and how people really think as it relates to business, the real person on the entrepreneur on the floor, on the ground, I, I recognize, you know, they have a different mindset in terms of the way they want to do business. So it was like, how can the, how can the Barbados economy then filter into this market and play their trade? They actually expand our own trade. And from there, then I, um, I shifted the focus of my PhD into international relations or economic relations, actually, really. And the focus was, can the Caribbean survive within uh, the Asian region? What is the trade potential for CARICOM? So I'm going to launch right in. You wrote a paper about increasing exports to China. But why exactly, fundamentally, should Caribbean firms attempt to export more to China? When it comes to the reasoning, the mere fact, because as a government or as a business entity, you want to have the largest market possible. And without question, the Asian continent, and if you speak specifically of China, is one of the largest components or land masses across the world with the largest set of consumers. Asia for itself accounts for 60% of all consumers. China alone con uh, constitutes close to 30% of the world's consumers. So if you look at 30% just for one nation, can you imagine how the only thing that should be stopping you if you can play your trade effectively, the only thing that should be stopping you is your production capabilities. Because we all know that the re region has limitations when it comes to 
mass production in anything. If it is simply for whatever reason we do, that the largest market should be on, on our agenda to be a, um, one of our target markets. Why have we not done that before? Now, if you take us back a little to years before, we focused a lot on the US, UK, and, and, and Canada. And there were reasons for that because those were the ones who aided us. And I would say aided us, I use that word loosely. So even if we can or we can't meet them, we were guaranteed to have a certain market share within the region. And that helped us quite a bit. So the, the, it definitely played a part. And it helped us to grow. We were allowed to earn our own for earn foreign exchange rate and seek further development as we continue on across the years. But that has since plateaued. But in terms of growth, the growth potential is much higher in the Chinese economy because we're starting from an end. When we reach that level in terms of growth, it's growing by maybe one two percent or so. But then we know there is an there. Well, we need to also either further expand or come up with more creative ways of tapping into these markets but lower hanging fruits in my opinion is simply going to a new market but you did mention there's a production constraint i think that's the actual key point because if it is the case that the markets that are normally uh, sought after are not saturated but it is actually caribbean firms that are constrained this constraint will still be there if they attempt to go and do business in China or Asia or anywhere else. So isn't that the actual key problem? The richest people in the world are spanned within the US. That is true. But who has the most millionaires across the world at this point? It's no longer the US. So there is money to be spent or money to be sought after within the Chinese market. Now, I would ask you this question. Where are most of the goods made or filtered through? Because if you look at the majority of goods that we import here within, and I would speak definitively for Barbados, and I would say hint at most of the rest of the Caribbean as well, whenever you buy a good or item from Panama, or we buy it from the US, even sometimes the UK and all, at the bottom of it, sticker made in China. Parts made, most car parts now are made, from what I understand, in Thailand, I talk about the little wire components and everything mm-hmm. and things like that. If that region has the base for these products and services, or well, let's focus on the products for our products and so on. Why would we not seek to import directly from them and sell directly to them? Because we import us a lower level item, increase the value of that item through the value chain and what we can add to it. And we can sell it back to the same, which every other country does, sell it back to the same wealthier individuals in the nation that have the money because there are a lot of them. So the idea is not just that they have a large amount of people and that because the economy is not poor. So the money has to be somewhere. I agree with that point, you know, conceptually. But then Mm -hmm. literally on the ground is, could you give me an example of one of these products where we can import on a very low level, and then value chain up to a, let's say, a luxury good. I can't let's speak defensively in terms of one identical product, but I'll say this. Probably a couple of years ago, we used to assemble buses here. We used to, Intel, we used to do Intel chips and so on here. All those parts at the lowest level are made in the Asian region. I'm not going to say specifically China because I don't have the statistics to say this. In those regions. Why did we lose that industry? Why can't that industry return 
uh, because those industries are quite profitable. 1980. So in Barbados at that year, the economy was still very uh, diversified. Tourism, manufacturing, sugarcane. But then in that same year, Trinidad had a currency shock. And that meant that labor was now cheaper in Trinidad compared to Barbados for the international companies. And they moved a lot of production to Trinidad. And the economy in Barbados never actually recovered their manufacturing. But that same argument can actually be widened. So a lot of manufacturing moving out of America into Bangladesh, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand, so on. It doesn't seem possible that Barbados could ever compete in terms of cost when it comes to manufacturing, given that Vietnam exists. No, let's, let's deal with Barbados specifically. I'll speak to Barbados. Now, my agenda for Barbados wouldn't necessarily be the whole notion of goods, but it would be focused on services at this particular point. A lot of us like to focus on tourism, and even if I just focus on that a little bit, this is a high-end destination. And if that is the case, why is it that we don't care to find those high-end or wealthy individuals that spans the globe? Why are we still trying to get the individuals from the U.S. who've already passed on word of mouth and continue to do, but the numbers remain constant or are reduced, have been reduced recently? Uh, let's, let's exclude this year, but they also reduced in 2017, sorry, 1890 in terms of tourist arrivals. So which means that our repeat visitor pattern has slowed. Whereas, what about the African region where there, there are wealthy people, the culture is completely different. You want to bring tourists to places where the culture is not the same. The Asian continent, the Chinese as well, have the money. They can definitely travel here. And so all we need to do is tar- market the goods in the same environment. And I'm not saying just throw everything in it. We have to secure what we have. We will we pretty much have done that. Your argument for not saturating the US market, I've yet to see where the potential lies in the US market when it comes to increased tourist numbers or financial services numbers. So I don't agree that the current markets are exhausted when it comes to tourism because this is very much a topical issue in the Caribbean right now. If you look at the supply in Barbados, when it comes to hotel rooms, it has not at all changed since 1980. So 30 years passed and the actual supply constraint is the same. It's not a demand problem. And also, in the normal markets, Toronto, London, New York, yes, there's a lot of Barbados marketing being done. But even outside those cities, there's nothing, almost nothing about Barbados. If you go to Montreal, to Manchester, to Michigan... There's nothing really about Barbados being um, pushed into the public eye. So I don't agree that the actual markets are exhausted because it seems more like a supply problem. And if we turn our payments to China for getting more tourists, the supply constraint is going to be there again. So I know that a lot of people think that China or Asia, because of the new wealth, is almost like a silver bullet for the tourism economy. But I don't see that play out empirically. Okay. Now, we can't really do much about the financial element. It is what it is, and the country is strapped financially. However, creativity speaks a lot. You can take that same budget and market things differently. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Can you validate the pur- the purpose of an embassy if it is not to spread the word and the influence of a country in another one? 
there is an embassy in the Chinese economy. There is an embassy in New York. There is one in Toronto. I think we have one in Washington. I'm not sure, but they have in the UK. We don't have that many embassies, but we do have embassies across the world. And why is it that the Caribbean needs to have one embassy for every single country? That's another question. If, they, if we are so united going forward, why don't we have one single embassy with united, uh, even person, even if you have one, one individual from every country posted there and they have a task, your job is to get persons into the Caribbean, not into one country, into the Caribbean. Agenda. Well, that seems to be one of those outstanding political issues. Obviously, for a long time, the Caribbean mm-hmm. has been very insular in economics, mm-hmm. in politics, mm-hmm. even in social interaction. So why can't we utilize persons or agencies that we have through? Because we do have embassies and these agencies in Toronto. There is a, a invest Barbados office inside of Toronto. There is an embassy in Canada. I think it's also in Toronto. Why is it that we have all three of these entities where our job is to focus on getting business into the country? And that is by way of services through tourism or investment. So the idea, okay, now you mentioned earlier, some of it is on our part. And these are the, the, the issues that we are having, even whether they're political or otherwise, it can be clearly seen that waste their, their wasted resources. I'm not saying that the persons can't stay in these particular countries to do their job, whatever. But amalgamating these to have one entity, I've been to the embassy of Laos. And that is in the same complex as, as the Barbados embassy in China, in Beijing. And they have personnel doing so much different tasks and we have here now that embassy as you said it's very constrained it's very limited so it's very little they can do right while i was out there and it got and the ambassador can speak to this in dalian there's an annual beer festival when i first year i was there i spoke to the financial controller and the ambassador as into why aren't we trying to get our local rum and beer and so on here even if we do it as a market test that would give us some indication of what the survival possibilities are for alcohol or our type of alcohol in the region. But my question is then, it is a matter of the companies, the, you know, Mount Gay, Foursquare, the Realm companies in Barbados, or other Caribbean like St. Lucia, Jamaica, Cuba. My question is why actually don't they expand their market to Asia? When it comes to companies, rather than trying to explore various other ventures or let's just say greener pastures we decide in the region that we are going to stick with who we know and gradually increment one here one there or when but the thing is for me is can't we see that in every crisis that happens across the major world is the western uh, economies are mostly affected we're we have the, the Latin American and, and, and Caribbean kind of grouping arrangement thing going on. But we still don't do half as much trade with Latin America as we thought we had planned. Why don't we do that? Now, those were all started and all implemented after we've sat, we've engulfed ourselves in the US, UK, Canadian, I don't want to say uh, environment. I don't want to say uh, spell 
happen in, in their environment. So we think our businesses, I believe, think that's the only direction that they can go. Look to the West. That is how we're, we're what we are, we're focused on. Given that, who would be the first mover in this instance? Would it be the policymakers in the Caribbean nudging um, internationally competitive companies to actually but, go forward? Or would it be the companies, say, some internal consultation saying, hey, we want some more free trade with who, who goes first? Businesses will not want to go into a market unless there is some sort of provision that there is maybe some arrangement between the governments that then we can ply our trade comfortably. We know what the procedures are and so on. So if you can identify a market that isn't that has doesn't have government provisions outlaid for them, bring it to the attention of government. When government evaluates a situation, it does it archaically. And when I say that, I don't say because government is not a biz- the business itself. So it can't discern whether or not the product, they don't market the product for the individuals. So that component is also needed. So without that collaboration from both, there's a problem. I agree with that, but one of the perpetual problems I've been seeing across the Caribbean in terms of trade, public policy, is that the governments don't have any particular long-term strategy for actually developing partnerships across the world. In, for example, Barbados, we recently started some new diplomatic ties with some other countries, and I, I can't see any empirical reason why that would be the case. But uh, that's through for Trinidad, through for Dominica, it could go down the line. So it does seem this ca- kind of comes back to a... I don't want to say a failing, but a, a persistent inefficiency in how Caribbean governments think about public policy and macroeconomics in general. If governments don't know where to get to or to focus their attentions, obviously they would end up with high levels of inefficiency. What I'm saying is that governments have to really play their part and collaborate as well as businesses have to do the same and offer this level of information to the public, meet to the public service. So when government takes the gets that information or works hand in hand with these companies on one thing I must say is that rather than waste time speaking to individual companies, governments have to evaluate what is potentially viable on an open market or our global market and what is not. Because a lot of the businesses that we have here still survive off of the assistance or the protectionism of the governments of the day. And if that is the case, when you go there and there's no protection for you, you're not going to survive. So we need to evaluate any specific entity or anything like that. But we also need to promote those entities or those businesses with longevity. So unless these things happen hand in hand, there is no efficient gains that can be had from government just forming arbitrary relationships with countries across the world. Because that is time, that is effort, that is money that we don't have to waste, but we're wasting it because we don't know where to start. In the Ministry of Economic Affairs, where you worked, was there any active discussion about how to actually set public policy for long-term goals? I would almost assume the answer is no, but you, you, you tell me. I can tell you there are documents probably on shelves that outlay opportunities or requirements for for government to proceed in terms of growth from the aspect of trade. 
But if they're constantly changing, nothing gets done because every has to start over every few years because as these medium-term and long-term policies takes time before you can actually see anything come to fruition. There's a long process, a long lead-up to what is needed beforehand. And then when things are in place, you need to see the returns from them based on some level of longevity and oper- of operations. And if we can't have consistency in any component or any stage of it, as opposed to, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. This is not being productive. And all the starting over becomes problematic. So that, and that is political issues because as a technician, we could have only offer our knowledge and skills and so on and document what needs to be done. But if every couple of years things change and we don't just simply adjust to adapt to the times, it is wasted efforts and it's becoming a perpetual situation. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Mm. Another point you mentioned in the paper was about duties and tariffs. You mentioned that duties and tariffs, of course, add extra costs on local production. I was thinking that it would be best if all duties and tariffs were actually removed completely from small open economies, because in reality, everything you do has to be imported. If you make something locally, the inputs are all imported. So given that, do you think that it would be useful to transform Barbados into a free port? I, I would dare say, and I have to take and speak with caution here because it is my opinion, that's just from observation, that many of these production entities within the, the Caribbean or within the, let's just say the Barbados context. I'm mostly the Caribbean too. I would just, I would dare span it to the rest of the Caribbean. I can say that they have the, or they lack the ability to be efficient in production as well. So it's not a case with only just government. Entities across the region has also been inefficient and remains inefficient. So if we lower those barriers of goods and services to come into the island, we face the concern of increasing the competition within the region, but yet still unable to boost the skills of local entities, therefore making them irrelevant or uncompetitive, to use the correct term. And when a business is uncompetitive, its lifespan is very short. So that is why I alluded to the fact before that this protectionist measure option has carried on for too long. Businesses in the region continue to rely heavily on the assistance of government, therefore making them uncompetitive. Because the day that governments decide to open the border, as you're suggesting, there will be other businesses filtering in who can offer the same item at a cheaper price than what we can offer here. Therefore, pushing us out to the market. So that is offers a bigger concern for us in the future than what we have than what we have right now. So even though we need, governments need the revenue, they also need to increase their level of efficiency. But at the end of the day, the reality is many of the businesses locally across the region are also uncompetitive in their current state. Have you spoken to many businesses in the Caribbean that ha- about, for example, expanding into China? And if you have, like, what are their like concerns or you know apprehensions? <sighs> to be honest, I, I I was a little distraught with the response because this is a business that does quite well, and at the point in time, it would have done you could have done some serious business within the Chinese economy, 
in, in my opinion, and just from an underground kind of inspection, but even if you want to test the waters, I would have said, okay, let me do my own investigations as a business entity. The business literally looked at us and said, China is too far. Like, you're buying Chinese products mm-hmm. to get to Barbados, but you're saying that China is too far for you to sell your products. Those are the exact words of a Barbadian entity that said that the Chinese economy is too far. Thank you very much, Antonio, for having this lively discussion about Caribbean trade in China. Do you have a way for people to contact you if they want to ask any more questions? Definitely. I'm always available via email, which is antonio.ali, A-N-T-O-N-I-O dot A-L-E-Y-N-E, cavehill dot U-W-I dot E-D-U. That is my email address. You can always reach me at any point in time. If you want to see my research work, you can go to ResearchGate. has quite a bit of it on it. Or you can just type in my name. You'll see some of my work from across different journals. And them say, here comes trouble. Here comes the danger. Sent by the Savior. Welcome the Rasta I and I start recruit soldiers for Selassie Army. Here comes trouble, here comes the danger. Welcome the savior, welcome the Rasta youths. You're not for axes, who are the general issue in a warning. Your people, them are balls, said them tired of mediocre. Evil are gonna fall when we're trying to Ethiopia. Believing from down, call them life no easy boater. Even Bantan said it's not an easy road. Operation occupy the motherland. Calling all soldiers to kind each other down. From creation, he writing a job plan, but chronics can't do it alone.